Well, it's good to see you, church, and we want to welcome everyone online as well as all those at our campuses. If you're new to Northview, uh, we are one church meeting across 12 different campuses, and we are just thrilled for every single one of you uh, to join us as we kick off a new series uh, called Interior Design. And I don't know about you guys, but I find myself in love with HGTV. I love the shows. I tend to live vicariously through some of those individuals. I also feel bad when watching some of those shows, though, because I'll, I'll think of a show like Fixer Upper, Chip and Joanna Gaines, and my wife is actually pretty close to a Joanna Gaines. She has some style. She can decorate, but I'm nothing near a Chip, and I just do not have that skill set, uh, but we are excited about today's series. Before we jump into it, I do want to celebrate some of the things that are taking place here at Northview. Uh, maybe you were aware of it, maybe you were participating in it, but we just came off of the parenting conference here at Northview, and can we just give a shout out to all the leaders who made that possible? Outstanding, Kurt Broadbeck and, and his team, all the youth staff, all the children's staff, and, and all the volunteers, and, and if you have a child here at Northview, I just pray you express your gratitude to all the individuals who are week in and week out investing into your child. It truly is a gift. I'm biased towards our church, not just because I'm a pastor, but because I'm a parent. And I'm just convinced what we are able to provide for, for children and parents is second to none. And quite honestly, I have no stake in that. There's, I can't take any credit for those things, but the, the gifted individuals who serve in that capacity here at our church, they're a gift to all of us, amen? I just think they're outstanding. Uh, in addition to last week, uh, I just, how many of you guys loved Max Lucado being here last week? Didn't he just do a fantastic job? Fantastic. I was sitting in the back and it was me, Max Lucado, and Steve Poe. And I thought to myself, man, I, I feel like I'm at an intersection between a Lamborghini and a Ferrari. And I'm sitting in a Prius, right? <laughs> like, one of these is not like the other, right? Like two apples and an orange. And uh, that is the story of my life. But here's the good news. If anything, take it from me. If you trust God long enough, his grace will put a favor upon your life that you'll find yourself in rooms and in spaces that you never thought you'd ever be in. And you just trust and celebrate God's goodness in your life. Amen. You'll get to meet some heroes. Well, I'm excited about today. It is game day. Anyone just think of church as game day? I do. That's why I put on some Jordans for today's message. This is, this is game day, and I'm excited uh, about today's message, interior design. And really, the goal in this series is how can we make the most of our personal space? How can we really leverage the, the personal faculties, the ways in which God has hardwired us with? Scripture places a ton of attention towards our mind, our heart, and our soul. And Scripture challenges us to steward those things well. And here's a bold claim, and I challenge you to think about it. Go home and wrestle with it. But I am convinced most of our issues stem from internal issues, not external issues. A lot of the things we see in the world, a lot of the challenges we bump into, well, at the end of the day, they're, they're the byproduct of things that are taking place in the depths of our hearts and our minds and our souls. And as individuals, if we're not careful, we project more dysfunction into the world. If we're not careful, we allow the dysfunction of the world to be projected into us. And so it's being careful and it's making the most of our personal space. And today, we wanna address this idea of the mind. Now, we just came off of a series called Bad Advice and strategically, my goal in all of this was to begin leading our church into a way of thinking. 
One of my biggest desires and what I honestly feel pressed on uh, as a pastor, what I would say, hey, I, I feel like this is part of my calling. I feel like this is maybe heaven's assignment on my life. It is to help people, especially the next generation, develop a handle in the area of discernment. I feel like the days before us are only going to be increasingly more and more confusing. We live in a, a tumultuous world. The conversation's changing, changing. And if we don't learn to discern well, and if we don't learn to harness all that God has given us in order to thrive in this life, well, we're gonna get down the road. And we're gonna be disappointed at the byproduct. And so this message is gonna kind of bridge what we just talked about in the Bad Advice series. But we're talking about the mind, and today we're gonna look at something the Apostle Paul said about the mind. In fact, the Apostle Paul said a lot of things about your mind and how you think. And what's interesting is how we bump into the Apostle Paul. From day one, we don't find him as like some superhero of the faith. In fact, he doesn't emerge onto the scene as some you know, godly man who is for the cause of Christ. If anything, he is the polar opposite. He was against the cause of Christ. In fact, he was against the, the people who were following Jesus. We are first introduced to the Apostle Paul uh, arriving on the scene, giving his approval of a murder. One of the early disciples is being murdered and Paul stands as the authority figure in the group and he gives license to this individual to be killed. That is how we're introduced to this Apostle Paul. So for some of you, you're here today or maybe you're watching online, you're not a Christian. And maybe you carry some ill feelings towards the church or, or maybe you have some really bizarre perspective on, on who we are as a community of faith. And if there's something in you that doesn't like the Christian faith, well, you should know you would have a lot in common with this Paul guy. When he shows up on the scene, he couldn't stand people who are following Jesus. And what's amazing is he goes from being an adversary to an advocate for the church. It's amazing because after this murder, people begin to scatter. And Saul, at the time, was his name, was so bent on stomping out this community of followers of Christ. And so he gets word that as the persecution was taking place, people were beginning to scatter. At the, the word of this murder, people began to leave town. And he gets noticed that people have ran and found haven in a town called Damascus. And so he goes and gets license and permission, and he gets authority from the leading figures of the day to go to Damascus and to persecute and to imprison those who are following Jesus. So on his way to Damascus, bent up on pride, convinced he was right, he bumps into Jesus. And it's amazing because in that moment, Jesus alters his life and he pivots. He does a 180. And the turnaround time of grace in his life is really remarkable. And the turnaround time of grace in your life could do the same if you would just open your heart to the things that God is trying to accomplish in and through your life. And it's in that moment that Paul realizes, I thought I was right, yet I'm discovering I was wrong. He was a prideful Pharisee, and he was convinced he was right. And sometimes we go through life and well, we're convinced we're right. I mean, you listen to the conversations taking place within our world, and everybody is convinced they're right. And in the case of Paul, and the case that you'll notice in life if you just pay attention, sometimes the smarter they are, the harder they fall. 
The smarter they are, the harder they fall, and it's just learning to live with a humility and is learning to lean into God's wisdom for our life. And so what you find is Paul realized, man, I went sideways, and I was, I was really off track, and it had to do with the way I was thinking and perceiving things. So much of his writings would have to do with the way you think. It's him t- telling his own testimony. Guys, if you mismanage your mind, you're gonna get in trouble. You're gonna get in trouble. And so he would lean into this, and he tells us this in 2 Corinthians. He says, by the humility and gentleness of Christ, which, guys, this is how we should always repre- uh, represent Christ, by the humility and the gentleness of Christ, One thing you will hear me repeat over and over and over again is we don't have to be abrasive to be persuasive. If you're gonna represent Jesus, you have to act like Jesus. Jesus was humble and gentle. You don't get to run around being abrasive and mean. By the humility and the gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you. Now watch what he says. Paul, who am timid when when face to face with you, but bold toward you, went away, which we all get this. You ever found that people have a different level of courage when they're on social media than when they're face-to-face? I mean, some of us, we have some just keyboard ninjas in our life. It's like, man, you were so nice at the coffee shop. Then you went home and got behind your computer and suddenly Rambo came to the surface. You're nuts. So we all can relate to this, and some of us fall into that category, and I think we can all empathize with Paul. There is... Well, there's a boldness that we possess when we're not face-to-face. It gets tricky to speak to things when you're so intimately connected to an individual. He goes on to tell you, he says, guys, I I beg you that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be toward some people who think that we live by the standards of this world. He's saying, guys, I I pray and I pray and I pray and I'm begging you. When I come, I hope I don't have to be as bold as I think I'm gonna have to be. Paul here is is not being fearful, but he is trying to be tactful. Paul's recognizing that he's speaking to a a diverse group of people and people who span the spectrum on all kinds of issues and he's saying, my goodness, this conversation, it comes with a lot of landmines. And what Paul is saying is, guys, I would rather you acknowledge it than me have to address it. Sometimes I feel that as a pastor. You speak to a crowd this big and you feel the landmines in the room. Sometimes you can feel as though you're, you're tiptoeing and it's like, man, I, I would rather they acknowledge it than me have to address it. Because it just takes a level of boldness and a courage and if I'm honest, sometimes that can be a little nerve wracking. But what Paul is saying is, is, guys, if you pump the brakes and you assess your life and you think about the things that you're giving yourself over to, chances are deep inside you, you know what is right and what is wrong. There's a conviction, there's a prompting, there's an awareness. Would you acknowledge it so I don't have to address it? See, what Paul bumps into and what I've discovered in my life is oblivious people hang out with obvious problems. You ever found that to be the case? Have you ever found like yourself watching individuals go through some routine and you're like, duh, It's so obvious, if you would stop doing that, it would change everything, right? But they're just completely oblivious to it. Oblivious people, they hang out with obvious problems. And my challenge, or my question for you, is what are the obvious problems in your life that for whatever reason, 
You're just overlooking. And so in this, Paul is, he's leaning in, he's saying, guys, there's some things that you're gonna need to acknowledge or I might have to address. And that's what he's leaning into and, and that gets uncomfortable, right? So then he goes on to tell us this. He says, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. So he's saying we do participate in warfare, we just don't participate in the way we see it played out in culture. He goes on to tell us the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, meaning opposite from what you see, very different on the other side of the spectrum. So here's what the world does, here's what the kingdom of God does. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. He goes on to tell us we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. I mean, aren't you amazed by how strong his language is? Paul is, he is, well he is not tiptoeing around the importance of the mind. And he is raising our awareness and challenging us to be more and more intentional. In fact, to be aggressive. He's saying, guys, you have to lean in. This is important stuff. And if you don't manage the mind well, you'll mismanage your life. Now, when you think of the mind in, in cultural terms, I think one of the most brilliant minds to ever live was Albert Einstein, right? Albert Einstein said this. He said, we cannot solve our problems with the same thinking we use to create them. Guys, we can't solve our problems with the same thinking we use to create them. And so my question for you, again, is what are the problems you're facing? Where's the tension in life? What are the things that are giving you anxiety, robbing you of your peace, creating emotional turmoil? What are the things that are really disrupting your relationships? And what are the things that are robbing you from your potential and keeping you from your purpose? What are the things that are creating havoc and problems in your life? And maybe, just maybe, you need to change your thinking if you wanna change what you're seeing. I would say this, your life, it moves in the direction of your strongest thoughts. And I can say that confidently because one, scripture endorses this, but every leading psychologist and sociologist around the world have arrived at this conclusion, which I just find it to be fascinating. I love that we now live on the modernized side of history where the science community has advanced in such a way that now they are coming upon what they believe to be brilliant discoveries, all to find that it was something God spoke about 3,000 years ago. You're just hijacking what he said, right? I love that, that God was so ahead of the game and he had individuals in undeveloped times of history speaking with impeccable accuracy. I love that about our God. And here's what I believe. What comes into your mind, it comes out in your life. What comes into your mind, it comes out in your life. I, I, again, be careful what you allow to enter and to take root in your mind. If your life moves in the direction of your strongest thoughts, are you proud of where your life is heading? Because church, what you give attention to, you give power to. And just be careful, you don't reinforce the wrong things. The Bible would say it this way, for as he thinks in his heart, so is he. I, again, like your thinking shapes the life you're living. 
And so it's learning, how do I make the most of this mind? And Paul, he uses war language. And I love that statement. He says, we take captive every argument, every thought that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And the thing that I want you to understand on the outset of this message is one, you have the authority. You have the authority in your life to take thoughts captive. You have the authority. Which has me thinking of, of TSA and airport security. Anyone ever been st stopped at the airport and security? I get stopped 80% of the time. I don't know like if I just fit a stereotype, if there's like a Norwegian coup out there just really plotting some disruptive things. They peg me every time. And one day I'm going through TSA, they stop me again. They say, we need to search your bag. So they bring me over to the table and they begin going through my bag, which is a pretty underwhelming experience. I'm a dad. So there's like an LOL toy in there. There's like some action figures and some fruit snacks. So they're pulling all this stuff out of my bag and then they pull out my Bible. And I'm a witty person, which is problematic at times. <laughs> and the first thought that came to my mind that I thought was funny is I said, now there's the real explosive. <laughs> yeah. Come to find out, you can't say explosive <laughs> while going through airport security. So the whole staff goes code orange. I get reprimanded in a lecture. You can't say that. There's the real explosive. But come to find out, it was the, the shiny edges on the pages of my Bible that was being detected uh, when it went through the scan. Anyone else have a fancy Bible? <laughs> and this idea, there's the real explosive. Well, Paul in this, he says, guys, we have a divine power and the original word that he uses there is the word dunamis. And dunamis means explosive power. That's what the word means. It means, guys, we have something that makes a radical difference, that has a profound impact on your life, that it almost seems explosive. When you harness this, the power in your life, it goes to another level. You, you have the authority that ultimately God's word is your badge. God's word gives you authority. And I get so concerned by our, our trending patterns to drift away from God's word. Guys, if you ever hear me speak, the one thing that you're gonna get every single week is an, just a strong push to get you to become a student of God's word. Don't sell yourself short and only settle for a sermon once a week, my goodness. You are starving yourself out. But there is something so fortifying, something so rewarding, something beneficial when you anchor yourself to God's word and you just become a student of God's word. Because here's what I believe. You can't live a courageous life if you don't have a concentrated mind. And I'm telling you, in this world that we're living in, so many things are gonna try to compete for your attention. So many things are gonna try to compete for your identity, which most of the issues in our world right now stem from identity issues. And it's because we've gotten so far away from the written word of God and what he has proclaimed over our lives that we're out there just speculating on really big matters. And here's the thing, if you're gonna live a life of faith, 
It is gonna call you to very courageous things. But if you don't have a concentrated mind, you're gonna miss out on what God calls you to do next. No, I have the authority, and I'm not gonna live a distracted life, and I'm not gonna allow things to take root in my mind that should not be, well, given thought to. I'm gonna have a concentrated mind, amen? And the Bible tells us this. It says a person without self-control is like a city with broken down walls. You guys see, in the olden days, back in the day, the walls that surrounded a city were everything for the city. They were its protection. They are what kept the city from being vulnerable and susceptible to an attack. And a lot of times, we are not fortifying our lives with the truth of God, and so we go through life vulnerable and susceptible. And guys, I'm just telling you, most of what we endure is completely unnecessary, but it's just a byproduct of us being overly casual in the wrong areas. So don't let down your guard. You have to fortify your life. And guys, this next part, it's gonna be teachy. It's gonna come with some heady knowledge. Please lean in, because I do think it'll serve you well. But we are, we are witnessing and experiencing, as a generation, some radical change taking place in the world. And it begins with modernization. So we now live in what they call the age of acceleration, the, the tech boom. We opened a door and now we're discovering all the things that are on the other side of that door. And this is not to demonize technology, but it is to say, hey, we have to pay attention to the new normal that we are discovering. Because with modernization came globalization. What I mean by this is right now, you can pick up your phone and you can talk to someone in China right now. You can pick up your phone and talk to someone in Africa right now from Indiana. Isn't that amazing? What technology has done is it has made the world feel smaller and smaller and smaller. Now we have access to every region around the world at the drop of a dime. And so now there's this globalization. We're more aware and we, we have access to the world around us. And with globalization, guys, has come pluralization. We now live in a culture that is a smorgasbord of beliefs and thoughts and opinions and different philosophies. And what happens is, is you end up with a culture where everybody just wants to dabble. And guys, this is really problematic because now from the comfort of your own home, you have access to every leading thought, every leading philosophy, all the different religions and bizarre thoughts that are out there. And what happens is, is we give ourselves over to really bizarre things. As we think about growing up, we were cheap, and my parents were always balling on a budget, right? Anyone else, you grew up in that household, mom and dad were always looking for a deal. So when it came to food, my parents cared more about the quantity than the quality. Anyone else, that's the house you grew up in? So my parents would find a coupon for a buffet, and we would go to the buffet, we'd get there at like 11, so it could kind of feel like brunch, and then after we would eat, we would hang out for an hour, talk, play a game at the table, all because dad was gonna send us back for a second helping. And then before we would leave, he would make us go get a to-go plate, right? You're taking some of that home for dinner. And it was all about the quantity, not the quality. And here's the thing that I have discovered in my life. I'm terrible at a buffet. I, I just... It doesn't make sense to me. I go through the line and so many things look good and then I get back to my table and I'm like, what did I do? I have tacos, pudding, 
lasagna and sushi. This isn't gonna sit well. And guys, you give yourself over to all this smorgasbord of beliefs, it's not gonna sit well. It's not going to sit well. You'll get down the road and you'll think, what did I subscribe to? And so again, it's saying, hey, I have the authority and I am going to really begin addressing the things that are trying to take root in my life. Because with pluralization, you then end up with secularization. And this is what Paul's speaking to in the Corinthian church. He's like, my goodness, you guys are all over the place. And here's the thing, he's speaking to the church. And he's saying, guys, you're starting to act like the world. And again, this is where as a preacher, you start to tiptoe a little bit. Guys, are you starting to act like the world? Are you starting to conform to the patterns that we see around us? Are you starting to subscribe to what our Vogue culture thinks is important? Are you drifting away from God's written revelation for your life, God's timeless truth? You have to be mindful, and you have to steward well the mind. You have the authority. In addition to that, you have to make assessments. You have to make assessments. You have to pump the brakes, pause, and think about the things that you're thinking about. I would say it this way. How you think about what you think about is something you should think about. How you think about what you think about is something you should think about. One thing that we just don't do well is we don't, we don't make honest assessments of ourselves. Have you ever found that you are, I mean, you can quickly assess somebody else? Have you ever found it amazing how quickly you can assess somebody? Like today, you're gonna go meet someone in the lobby or see someone at a game or, or you're gonna bump into someone at the mall and you're gonna have a brief interaction and you're gonna walk away, jump in the minivan and say to your spouse, homegirl is nuts. <laughs> like she's crazy, right? Like you had a 30 second interaction and you've already been able to assess, that one's crazy. You can do it in 30 seconds when it comes to assessing another person. But sometimes it takes 30 years to assess the crazy in yourself. Yeah. Oh, come on, I'm, I'm guilty of this as well. This isn't me projecting shame. It's just saying we're able to see it in other people much better than we are able to see it in ourselves. And it's learning to make assessments. I have to assess some things. Does this make sense? Right? And does this does this work? Is it beneficial to my life? And if you don't learn to make assessments, guys, you're, you're just gonna deprioritize the wrong way of thinking. Paul would go on to tell us this. He'd say, do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So again, it's transformation, it begins in your thinking. And it's learning to assess, hey, what are the thoughts that are tripping me up? Because here's the thing, you cannot defeat what you cannot define. And most people have not really taken time to assess their thinking so they don't even understand where they're coming up short. And here's the thing, once you give it a name, two things happen. One, it loses its power, and two, you lose your excuse. The moment you label it, the moment you give it a name, it loses its power and you lose your excuse. It's like, no, this isn't me. This is some bad thought. And this is exactly what it is. 
And it, you cannot defeat what you cannot define. Now, this is gonna be really quick, but I'm gonna go through eight lethal assumptions. As a pastor, things that I just, I just witness in conversations, I pick up on. Things, if I'm honest, I've, I found myself tempted in these areas, right? And I think things that you see in culture. And know this, every single one of these assumptions could be a sermon in itself. Every single one of these could be a 40-minute talk. But this is where it's so important to join a group because a group helps you tailor fit the message to your life. So we're gonna go through these quickly, but I do think these are things that we struggle with. One, people will say, if I find the right person, everything will be all right. And some of that has to do with the church's unintentional but unproductive, maybe shaming of singleness. We don't realize we're doing it, but sometimes we, we place such an emphasis on marriage and family, which are beautiful and godly things, and, and it's amazing, and they're God's gift to humanity. But if we're not careful, we send an unproductive, misleading message to single folks. And so what happens is, is the single ones among us don't take advantage of the season that they're in and all that God could do in the life of a single person, and they subscribe to a thought that says, I'm not whole until I find somebody else. No, for every single one of us, our wholeness is found in Christ, not in another person. You do you, amen? And there's power in a single season. And sometimes our focus is on finding the right person, and I would just challenge you, just focus on being the right person. Be the person the person you're looking for is looking for. Someone say, run it back. Be the person you're looking for is looking for, because you don't want to find the right person and then look at you and think you're the wrong person, right? And, and I would just say, single folks, that's a precious season, and God can use you in that season, and don't take on a shame or some bad logic that makes you think that you're unwhole um, or inadequate just because you haven't found a spouse. Does that make sense? So I think sometimes we fall into that. Two, some people say, my, my situation is unique. No, it's not. You're unique, but your situation is not. And so what happens is, is we fall into this lie of uniqueness and the moment we buy into it, we start to discredit all of God's promises. Well, God, you spoke to this and you accomplished that, but my situation is unique. If you go through the pages of scripture, what you find is God has a remarkable, remarkable resume, track record, when it comes to his ability to walk people through situations. And what you find is there's a promise, and there's a principle, and there's a verse, and there's a commandment, and there's guidance for the season that you're in. You're unique, but your situation, it's not. The third lethal assumption that we bump into is people say, it's not right, but it makes me happy. And God wants me to be happy. And this is out there. I mean, this is kind of like the new thing amongst Christians. And here's the deal, if you're a note taker, what I'm about to say is gonna blow your mind. This may be the most brilliant thing I've ever said. So get the pencil out, get your phone ready, because here it is. Guys, if it's not right, it's wrong. <laughs> I mean, I nailed it. If it's not right, it's wrong. And we, we fall into such faulty thinking, well, I know it's not right, but God wants me to be happy. No, God wants you to be holy. And listen, happiness before holiness is superficial. 
But the happiness that comes on the other side of holiness, it's a supernatural joy. It's so much more than the temporary boost that culture can give you. It's sustaining and it's fortifying and it brings something into your life that the world can never offer. Holiness before happiness is the way we take, amen? It's the way we take. And so again, if it's not right, it's wrong. And church, the right thing to do is always the right thing to do, amen? Fourth assumption. If only I had blank, which some of you, you probably got a whole list that could fill in that space. If only I had blank, then I would be satisfied. Which think about it, right now, you possess so many things that once filled in the blank. I mean, the things that you hold on to are things that you thought, if only I had a new car, if only I got a new job, if only I get a new house, right? If only this, and what you find is appetites always beg for more. And so all you do is feed an appetite and you're constantly in this perpetual cycle, if only I had, if only I had, if only I had, and it's learning to live a content life fulfilled and satisfied with all that God has given you and not giving yourself over to this way of thinking. Number five, I owe is better than I want. And this is the thing, again, this ties to our appetite but we would rather, we would rather live a life bound by debt than suppress a desire or a want. <laughs> Scripture says the borrower is slave to the lender. Guys, just be careful because at some point you get down the road and you're like, man, I am swimming in debt and it is better to want than to owe. And so just be careful when it comes to debt. Number six, my secret it's safe with me. You ever found that secrets, are, you know, they seep? Secrets seep. And I think the only, you know, I think three people can keep a secret if two of them are dead, right? <laughs> um, but this is where we as followers of Christ, we benefit so greatly from what scripture calls us to when it comes to confession, right? There's something so powerful and liberating about allowing the things that are, you know, eroding or taking root or festering in the dark to come out and receive grace. And here's the thing, a little secret over time becomes a big lie. So just be really careful and just know God's not holding out on his grace and so whatever it is, we've all have had shortcomings, just give it to God and as the people of faith, come on, we need to be a space where people can make their confessions and people can get things off their chest, things that they've been harboring and storing within the depths of their soul and as a church, we respond with grace. Amen. Come on, we respond with love, we respond with open arms and encouragement. Let's not shame people when they're stepping into freedom and liberty in Christ, amen? So your secrets, well they seek. Now, number seven, before I jump into this, I understand the, the age demographic in the room, so I'm not gonna spend time on this one. You're gonna read it, we're gonna get it. And I think many of you will be able to apply it the moment you see it. But number seven, and culture believes this, sex will solve it. Not true. Number eight. <laughs> it's not a big deal. Hey, I get it. I, I have kids too, and I understand some of you have your kids in the room. And I will respect that. That's your conversation, and I believe you can steward it well. But the last thing that we do give ourselves over to is this idea of it's not a big deal. Guys, this is, this is I mean, you can find it everywhere in our world right now. Well, it's not a big deal. 
Compromise after compromise after compromise. Guys, it is all over the place. And Kristen and I, we say a lot in our parenting, we're gonna make a big deal out of small matters. So small matters don't become a big deal. We're gonna make a big deal out of small matters so small matters don't become a big deal. And just be careful and be mindful and pay attention to the areas in your life that you're just, well, you're likely to compromise. You know, there's this verse in the book of Ezekiel. God is calling the prophet to really speak out and to stand firm in the truth in a world that is against it. And God tells Ezekiel, he says, I'm gonna give you a forehead of flint. I love that idea. Guys, there are some things that it's just good to be hard-headed about. And there are some times that you just need a righteous stubbornness. I'm sorry, but there are some things I'm hard-headed about. I don't compromise in this. Heaven and hell are a real place and everybody spends forever somewhere. Jesus is the only way, the truth, and the life and nobody comes to the Father but through him. God's word is the written and infallible perfect word of God and it is his revelation for humanity and the church is his plan A. There is no plan B. It's the hope of the world, amen. I'm hard-headed in those areas. You have to have a righteous stubbornness to just say, no, I, I don't compromise on this. I, I just do not compromise on this. And guys, here's the deal. If you don't want the next time to be like the last time, you have to renew your mind. Paul says, well, hey, we don't you know, conform to the patterns of this world, but we are you know, transformed by the renewing of our mind. If you don't want the next time to be like the last time, you have to renew your mind. And again, this is where we just we benefit so greatly from the word of God. And I know I'm making a strong endorsement here and some of you think, well, that's just strange. But try it. I mean, think about the song growing up. My parents, they would always put us to bed singing the song, Hush Little Baby. Show of hands if you ever heard the song, Hush Little Baby, Don't Say a Word. Yeah, look at all these hands. Your parents sang it too. That's a weird song. Hush, little baby, don't say a word. Mama's gonna buy you a mockingbird. If that mockingbird don't sing, don't worry about it. Mama's gonna buy you a diamond ring. If that diamond ring turns brass, mama's gonna buy you a looking glass. Before you know it, you get a goat and a horse. No wonder why us millennials are so entitled. We were promised a mockingbird, a goat, a horse, a looking glass, and a diamond ring just to go to sleep when we were two. I blame you baby boomers. Which blame is also another one of our tendencies. We're working through it. But that's a weird song, but it worked. Kids all across America were just passing out. And I look at something like that, and I'm like, what was the origin? How did that get started? Like, they, social media didn't exist. It's not like one mom got on social media and filmed a video of her singing a song and it went viral. No, a mom had to go in the kitchen and pick up the landline and spin the dial and call her friend and was like, get this. Last night I made up a song. You have to try it with your kids. And then she went to bed that night and she sang the song to her kids and then she passed it on to somebody else and it went viral by word of mouth. This is the only way it could have happened. People were like, hey, I know it's strange, but if you try it, it works. Guys, I would not put every ounce of credibility I have on the table if I was not convinced that the word of God, it works. 
it works. And it may seem strange to some of you, but get past that, my goodness. You have no idea what you're forfeiting, it works. You have the authority, you have to make assessments, and lastly, you have to be aggressive. I mean, you have to be aggressive. I mean, there's just something in Paul where he's like, listen, I am going to be aggressive here. I love it because he's talking about taking things captive, like a prisoner, and it makes me think of all the, the war movies or investigative shows that I've seen where an enemy is brought into that interrogating room. And there's an interrogation, right? And the question is, hey, before we release you or decide what we're gonna do with you, we wanna know where'd you come from, who sent you, and what is your plan, right? Where'd you come from, who sent you, and what is your plan? And again, this is how we have to address our thoughts. Before something comes into our mind, wait a second, where'd you come from, who sent you, and what is your plan in my life? But it is aggressive. And it makes me think, of my favorite player growing up, basketball player by the name of Gary Payton. I love Gary Payton, he played for the Seattle Supersonics, and Gary Payton's nickname was The Glove. Now if you're a basketball aficionado, you get this. Yes, it's fun to watch people play offense, but there is something so intriguing and so fun to watch about a great defender. Gary Payton was just tenacious on the defensive side of the, ball, uh, the court, and so much so, he got a signature shoe deal, a signature shoe deal for defense. He's the only player that I know of who got a signature shoe deal for defense, and he was called the glove. In fact, there's times with him going off with Michael Jordan, which it looks like he's about to say an F word. <laughs> which I'm guessing was the word foul, and some of you need to get your head out of the gutter, right? Sometimes you have to put a joke like that out there to see who the real ones are among us, right? Uh, some of you are susceptible, I see it, right? But here's the thing, like, it's fun to watch people who can play defense well. And I'm telling you, as a pastor, some of the most fulfilling and just, I don't know, enjoyable times in my life are just watching people who know how to defend the faith well. Watching people who are not insecure in what they believe, but know how to navigate the world that they're living in. And people who don't get disrupted, but know how to stand in alignment with God's word. And it is a, it is a posture of like, hey, I'm, I'm aggressive. I'm not backing down in this. I'm not mean. I'm not abrasive. But I'm also not passive and insecure. I know who my God is, and I know what I believe. You know, there's this time where Jesus is, is talking about unity. He's talking about a division and how it's so problematic. And he tells us this in Mark chapter three. He says, in fact, no one can enter a strong man's house without first tying him up. Then he can plunder the strong man's house. In other words, Jesus is saying, listen, unless you tie me up, you're not gonna walk into my house and plunder my, my possessions. You're not gonna come in and wreak havoc in my home. I like that idea. No one can enter a strong man's house unless he ties them up first. One of the things that has grieved my heart over the last two years is just watching how many people got tied up. They just got tied up. And things have been plundered in their life, and it's because they didn't stand firm. It's because they got too casual, and they became susceptible. And at some point, you have to develop a not-in-my-house kind of thinking. Another great NBA player was Dikembe Mutombo. 
Loved Dikembe Mutombo. And he played for the Denver Nuggets when I lived in Colorado. And Dikembe Mutombo was this really tall, great shot blocker. And he had one of the best trash-talking statements. In fact, he had like an 11-inch finger. And every time he would block someone's shot, he would wave his finger at him. And he would say the statement, not in my house. I love that statement. And then the league got all delicate and they told me can't say it anymore and they started fining him or whatever, but I loved it. Not in my house. And come on, men, what would happen if we rose up with some courage and some faith and some obedience to Christ to say not in my house? Women, what would happen if we did the same? Hey, not in my house. Young people, what if you just started taking some ownership over the house you live in? Not in my house. That doesn't get to take root. That just doesn't get to wreak havoc and plunder the life that I'm living. Not in my house. We gotta get there. We're from Minnesota and our custom is you take your shoes off at the door. Some of you Indiana folks are stressing me out. <laughs> just, just kick off those shoes. My mom grew up telling us, uh-uh, you ain't gonna walk around this house with some dirty shoes on. And come on, be careful when you let the next thought plant itself in your mind. No, you don't just get to walk around this house with some dirty shoes on. Guys, you have to be aggressive, which has me thinking of, all the high school sports I was a part of. Even last night, we went to Carmel High School to watch the basketball game with shout out coach, good game. And, um, <laughs> and I just, I think of like all the, the things that take place at a game, right? The, the cheering and the bands. And, and I was always the one who'd get distracted during the timeout. Like, I wanna see what happens. And there was this cheer that our cheerleaders used to always do. Be aggressive, got to be aggressive, got to, right? Anyone else here to be aggressive? Be aggressive, got to be aggressive, got to B-E-A-G-G-R-E-S-S-I-V-E, -E aggressive. Anyone else? Be aggressive. Guys, I lean into the corny because I know it's the thing you'll remember. Be aggressive. And I hope the next time you find yourself about to throw in the towel and give way to something, you just see me up here doing this, <laughs> right? Be aggressive. And guys, lean in to the reality that God wants you to steward this well, because here's the main thought I wanna leave you with. When lies are not confronted, callings are not fulfilled. When lies are not confronted, callings, they're not fulfilled. And here's the deal, I try to craft statements so you'll remember them. I try to say corny things, you're like, that's ridiculous, but now it's stuck in my head. And so here's the last thing I wanna leave you with. Guys, you're called to be a guard dog, not a scaredy cat. <laughs> And it's so corny, but you'll remember it, amen? So steward the mind well. At this time, we're gonna transition into baptism, and I am thrilled about this. And those of you who are participating, you can go ahead and make your way to get ready for baptisms. If you're new to Northview or new to the Christian faith, let me help you understand what baptism is. One, we not only exist to declare the gospel, we exist to demonstrate the gospel. What you're gonna see today is a demonstration of God's grace at work in people's life. In addition to that, Baptism, it is a personal thing, but it was never meant to be private. We, we do this in public to, to send a message and to declare the goodness of God in our life. It is a public proclamation of an inner transformation. In addition to that, baptism, hear me on this one, baptism is for your association, not for your assurance. 
It is for your association, not for your assurance, right? You don't have to be baptized to be saved. You are baptized because you are saved. It's now going public, amen? It is symbolic, not superstitious. It's a symbol. In addition to that, baptism is the wedding ring of the Christian faith. It's saying, hey, just so everybody knows, family members, friends, coworkers, peers, people I don't even know, I'm with Jesus. I'm with Jesus. It is the wedding ring of the Christian faith. And lastly, I believe baptism is the trophy of grace. It is the trophy of grace, which I love metaphors because I think they stretch our imagination. And I think when we think of the church, we should think of the church as a trophy case. Look at all these trophies of grace. God won that situation and God won that situation and we're all living in this victorious life that Jesus died to give us, amen? So that is why we celebrate baptism and we celebrate, we cheer, we applaud, we whistle, we clap, we do all the things to let these people know how proud we are of them, amen?